This morning reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I gave every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The sixth day. Chapter 3. The fall. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animal the Lord has made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit on the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed the fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid, and he said, 
Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the trees that which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and uh, good morning to everybody online as well. Welcome to St. John's. Um, They look great. Look forward to to seeing those um, later, although I'm a bit worried about the length of the instructions, but uh, look forward to that. Well, um, it's true to say, isn't it, these are are difficult days um, for us as a church as we go through this um, pandemic. The the impact, as we know, is considerable on us. Um, That's not just in terms of physically, emotionally, but also spiritually. Uh, And so I think that in many ways makes the task of um, talking about ethnicity, uh, racism, and the church, and our life together, um, even um, harder. But I, but I really do recognize how important um, this is for our, for our life together. I've been um, very um, grateful and very moved by many of the conversations I've, I've had over the last um, year or so, especially um, grateful for those who've shared their experiences, their, their stories, often um, quite painful ones. Um, the impact of those stories is considerable for those people, those individuals. And, and we, of course, as a church family, should always be seeking to draw alongside in love. I think it's essential that we um, reaffirm our, how racism is a, a dreadful thing. And of course, I'm, I'm no, under no illusion that, uh, that to think that uh, a February sermon series um, is going to make that go away. Um, for each of us, I'm aware there is, a, of course, a mixture of emotions that go along with this. But this is about our life together, isn't it? Uh, and my aim this month is not to try and give us a kind of nicely packaged answer to some of what are the most difficult questions. But my aim is for us all to to look to God, um, to depend on him, uh, to look to him in his word to to speak to us. Uh, And you may find that you don't um, always agree with what I say, uh, and I understand that. Um, I only ask that we come uh, before God with a open Bible with, with open hearts and together praying that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide. 
So with those thoughts, let's just um, close our eyes and uh, let's pray, shall we? God, our Father, we come before you this morning. We pray that you give us ears to hear from you. Give us eyes to see your glory. Give us hearts to feel what we should. Give us wills to obey your call. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Revelation 5, right at the end of the Bible, describes the heavenly hosts singing a new song to Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on earth. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever. Amen. We start with Revelation 5 because I want to fix our, our, our hearts on, on what is to come to encourage us to not lose heart in this area. We're moving, as God's people, forward to a day when he will make things right. But that's not where we live right now, is it? And why is that? So we begin this series by asking where we began. But don't look. Don't lose heart about thinking where we're going. But today, it's very much about where we began. For we can't really begin to understand questions about ethnicity and our life together as a church unless we see why things are the way they are. And to do this, we come to God's word into the account of creation and fall. So if you're near a Bible, it's good to have it open at Genesis chapter 1. Here At chapter 1, verse 1 of the whole Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So foundation, so foundational to the entire universe, to absolutely all our understanding of what the world is and who we are in God's creation. In the beginning, there was God. And like any story or book that you read or a movie that you watch, If you miss the first five minutes, you generally don't understand the plot, do you? And therefore we won't understand the plot and God's intention for our life together if we miss this beginning. Everything that happens to us, everything must be framed through that lens of creation and fall. Start from any other point and we'll be a bit like that person who comes into the movie five minutes late who constantly is whispering, what's going on? So, two um, quotes for us from a great Christian thinker. His name, Augustine. He was born in modern-day Algeria, which is in North Africa. Here's the, the first quote. For in your sight, God, no man is free from sin, not even a child who has lived one, only one day. It can hardly be right for a child to cry for everything, 
including things which would harm him, to work himself against people, to try his best to strike and hurt others who know better than he does. Here's his second, a second quote from Augustine, from the city of God. What varieties has man found out in buildings, husbandry, navigation, sculpture, and painting? What millions of inventions, what thousands of medicines for the health, of eloquent phrase to delight, of verses for pleasure, of musical invention and instruments? How large is the capacity of man? Two quotes there from Augustine. And he describes humans as firstly throwing a tantrum like a rebellious child. And the second describes humans as this great inventor capable of such beauty. One speaks of our fallenness and the other speaks of our design. This is is where we began. We're gloriously projecting the the image of God, and at the same time, horribly marred by sin. Two essential truths, and we must hold those truths together. First of all, let's think about being made in the image of God. Here's some verses. Verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then verse 31, God saw what he'd made and it was very good. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's quite a, quite a thing. It's a statement. We've probably heard it before, but what does it actually mean? It, certainly in general terms, it, it, it can mean that we're capable of rational thinking, uh, of appreciating beauty, uh, an ability for, for moral decisions, and also for, for worship. But perhaps more key for today is that we're made for relationship and responsibility. That's, we were made to represent God, if you like, in creation. That's why verse 28 says he has commissions us, in a sense, to rule over creation, he says. We were made um, to be in relationship with God, just as there is relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were made also to reflect the righteousness of God. He, he made us perfect, to reflect his holiness. Now that's how God created us. That's where we began. That was his good intention for us. But what are the implications for that, for our, for our topic? Well, firstly, the first thing, the first implication is the image of God speaks of our inherent worth and dignity. Every single human being has worth and dignity. There are, there are no first and second class humans. We all bear the image of God. All humans made in his image. And uh, uh, 
if, you were to, if we were all together, and we can, some of us who are together, we could look around. You can even do that now, and you can see the, the diversity in this room. It doesn't matter how, how educated a, a person is. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter um, the language that they speak, or the way that they look, or the color of their skin. It doesn't matter if they're employed or unemployed. What ethnic background they're from. There's no room for a them and us mentality that Hannah was showing us here. We're all members of one human race. Every person has worth and dignity because we're made in the image of God and therefore we're deeply loved by God, deeply precious to him. And we should see everybody as God sees us with love, not focusing on our, on our stereotypes or our, our divisions that we create. The second implication of the image of God is it speaks of our unity and our diversity, which we were, Hannah was saying already. You might be familiar with the, the Nicene creeds. We sometimes say it. It's an affirmation of faith. And in that creed, it says, We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one in essence and nature, but three in distinct persons. You see, the church of Jesus Christ should reflect that unity in diversity. Because God is one, although he is a community as well. So St. John's, we are one even though we are a community uh, of different backgrounds, of, of different languages, of different ethnicities, the diversity we see is a reflection of just how diverse God is and how majestic and, and glorious his creation is. Remember, God said it is very good. It's very good. It's a good thing. Now, one of the things I, I rejoiced when I, I moved uh, to South East London and to this church, I enjoyed very much that unity and that diversity of which I came into. We are the same and different. Diversity is very good. Well, what about the fall? The fall causes enmity. Chapter 3 of Genesis describes how sin entered into God's perfect world. Adam and Eve rebelled against God and we see the results in the rest of Genesis. The beauty and perfection of creation becomes ugly and broken with sorrow, with division, with cursing, with pain, with expulsion, with dissension, with all kinds of things. And, and the truth is, it's a familiar picture of the way things are now, aren't The way things are broken and messy. And today, we, we need to, I want us to focus on one aspect of that. It's a really important aspect, and it's this word enmity. It's not a word we use very often, but it appears in the reading in verse 15. It means to be an active opposition and hostility. It means actually to be at war. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they weren't just doing a kind of little bit of sin over here that didn't really matter. 
They weren't just doing that. They were actually becoming God's enemy. Just as Romans 8 says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Romans 5, we were God's enemies. You see, without, without Jesus Christ, you and I are enemies of God. Uh, I've been reading some of the work of um, Jupiter Hammond, who was born into slavery in 1711. He became a, a preacher and he's regarded as the first African-American poet. And he, he wrote these words. He said, Now you may think you're not enemies to God and do not hate him, but if your heart has not been changed and you have not become a true Christian, you certainly are enemies of God and have been opposed to him ever since you were born. It's sobering, but it's what the Bible says. And the state of enmity and hostility was not just between us and God, it's between every single human being. It started with Adam blaming Eve. It moved to Cain murdering his brother Abel. And as the chapters unfold in Genesis, we see hostility and division growing in wider scope. But as we see today, between ethnicities and between nations and between groups. Now, the Bible never uses the word racism, but it it speaks, doesn't it, explicitly about sins that relate to the modern category of racism. Here uh, in Galatians 5 is perhaps one of the most helpful lists. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, these that those who who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I think we can obviously see how racism could map onto those works of the flesh. We can see that. We can say that racism is enmity, can't we? Oh, they're not from round here, those people. Strife, well, you would think like that because you're from not there. Because you're from there. Rivalries. We, we want to be the first people because we're superior. Dissensions. That's so typical of them. Divisions. If only they were as clever as us. I mean, fundamentally... Racism, discrimination is another way of not loving your neighbor as yourself, isn't it, really? A particular horrible way because it denies that the person is ever fully a human neighbor made in the image of God and deeply loved by God. And of course that should not be. Enemies of God, enemies of each other. And friends, without Christ, that's what we are. We're at war. This is where we began. And James 
writes in the New Testament what is surely right. He says, with the same tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. It's not a pretty picture, is it? What, what does this mean for our life together? Well, the, the hostility we harbor to, to one another is actually a direct result of our enmity that resides in our hearts towards God. Sin has so thoroughly kind of corrupted our nature that only and only the heart transformed by the wonderful, glorious, good news of Jesus Christ can remedy the deep-seated enmity that separates us first and foremost from God but separates us from each other. It's the gospel. And the fact that we see with our eyes, we see color, and that can be transferred to our minds and subsequently forms in our hearts sinful biases towards God's fellow image bearers is spiritual matter, primarily a spiritual matter before it's a a social or a, a cultural one. And spiritual problems require spiritual solutions through the transforming power of God's gospel, of grace found in the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us. Of course it's right to condemn and work against racism in society. Yes, absolutely. At the same time, true racial harmony at a deeper level is only possible when it is motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by God's grace, not by guilt, not by the law, but by grace that Lord Jesus Christ has shown each one of us, even though we were his enemies. He has saved us. What are the implications of this? Firstly, the fall of humanity reminds us that we're all sinners. We're all in need of forgiveness. For those trusting in Jesus, we must, we must realize that sin is still at work in us. The sinful nature is still there It shouldn't surprise us that if we find racism, bias, prejudice still rooted in our hearts, we must be soft-hearted before the Lord, asking Him, asking the work, the Spirit to show us and to put to death that sinful nature. As I often say, let's let's start from the point of view that assume that it may well be true of you and me. The Lord, ask the Lord to show you. Ask the Lord to show where you've shown bias or discrimination or shown superiority or stereotypes or whatever it might be. But there is a, there's a, a warning in this in, in that often we're so unaware of our own sin and we should pray as the psalmist prays in Psalm 19, but who can discern their own faults? Forgive my hidden faults, Lord. But if we become aware of our wrong, our sin, we should be quick to move out to God in confession of our sins, to repent, to turn around and trust in the transforming power of the gospel, of God's grace, the kindness that he's shown us in Jesus. To trust in the Lord Jesus who died 
for us while we were still his enemies. And of course that may mean that we need to move out towards someone or seeking their forgiveness and seeking reconciliation and we should be quick to do that. The second implication, I think, is that we should remember that the image of God needs renewing in us. It needs renewing us. Sin entered into the world and marred the image of God in all of us. And now we can only understand what it really means to be made in the image of God when we look at Christ, when we know Christ. Because as Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. So because of the fall and sin, the image of God can only be perfectly seen in Christ. And for the believer, the person who's trusted in the Lord Jesus, it's only through Christ that we can, be see- we can seek to be transformed inside out. And ultimately, that, though, awaits us, doesn't it? In that new creation, in that Revelation chapter 5 that we, we began with. It is our destiny. That is the plan. That is where we're heading, is to be like Christ. And that's not something we'll ever have this side of eternity. That doesn't mean to say we don't uh, stop trying and seeking to, to be more like Christ. Of course we should be. But we must remember that is something that needs renewing and only can be renewed by God alone. Until then, as Paul in Ephesians 4 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Be bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. God our Father, we, we just come before you thanking you for your words. We thank you that we're created in your image. We're sorry for our rebellious hearts. We pray that you transform us by the power of your Spirit, that we may seek to live for you, that you would draw us together in Christ. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.